Uh, you could turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 9 this morning. Uh, we are going to be talking about the end of the world. Uh, and uh, when I think of the end of the world, there's at least three ideas of what the end of the world is going to be. First of all, uh, there's a lot more than three, but there's, uh, I'll just set us up with three this morning. Uh, the first one being your view of the end of the world. Uh, you probably have an idea of how this is going to end up. Uh, you have thought through in your own mind and heart how you think it's going to end up, but also how you want it to end up, uh, how you play out the end of your life, but also uh, the end of the world uh, as you think about it. So that's yours. That's yours or mine, uh, our end of the world. Then there's theirs. Uh, theirs. And when I think of theirs, I'm not just talking about everybody other than us. I'm talking specifically about uh, people, powerful people, heads of states, uh, billionaires and gazillionaires, people uh, who think that they are in control both of their life and of yours. Um, and there are many. Uh, I won't mention any names or anything like that, but sometimes it turns out to be software people and stuff like that. Anyways, I won't mention any names. I won't mention any names. But uh, as they think about the world, they think through technology and money and power and uh, gathering together that they can control both you and what happens next. Um, and uh, that would be their plan for how this end of the world is. And basically, uh, their plan is to get rid of you and me and uh, so that they can live how they want to live, doing whatever they want, because the world is theirs to enjoy. Um, that's So there's your perspective, and then there's their perspective. But this morning, we're going to be talking about God's plan, God's plan. And I just want to tell you that, that our plan, what we would see happening, doesn't really matter. And even their plan, doesn't matter how many gazillions of dollars and how many meetings they have and how much control and how many companies they own. That doesn't matter either. But what matters is what is God doing? What is his plan? What has he said in his word? And then we'll trust in that, knowing that that is the only plan. Uh, this is the only way this is going to end up understanding the plan of God. Um, so we search the mind of God, the word of God, and he has given us some details on how this will end and uh, how his plan will prevail in the end. Uh, today we're going to be looking at what I call the great tribulation. Uh, there are tribulations in this life. There are difficult times. Uh, you may have gone through some. Uh, you might go through some personally or even as a family, or we might go through some as a country. But what we're talking about here is the end of this world, the great tribulation, as God has uh, revealed it in his word. And so I want to read to you from Daniel chapter 9. I want to start at verse 24. 24, if you'd stand in honor of God's word, I'd like to read to you from verse 24 to the end of chapter 9. God's word says this, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city, 
to finish the transgression, to put an end to, uh, to sin, to, and to atone for iniquity, and to bring about, uh, bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Know therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem uh, to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks. Then for 62 weeks, it shall be built again with squares and a moat, but in troubled time. Verse 25, uh, and, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and, and, and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood, and to the end uh, shall, shall be war. Desolations are decreed. Verse 27. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. And for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of, a, wing of abominations shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. God, thank you for your word and help us to understand it now. Thank you for having a plan and for being a trustworthy God who we can also trust in this moment, in this time, but all the way to the end. God, you're good and we, we acknowledge you. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Now, last week uh, we looked at, actually the last two weeks, uh, we looked at 70 weeks, 70 weeks, and that everything is going to come together in these 70 weeks. And then uh, we saw last week that there's a seven-year period of the rebuilding of the temple. Um, and then you get to uh, 62 weeks after that, the coming of Christ really as a king. And then there's a time after that, the, I would say that we're in right now, a time after the 69 weeks, but before the 70th week, uh, which we are in now. Um, and then there's that last 70 week, the, the 70th week. Uh, that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, one, one man asked me, he looked at the bulletin card that we have and he said, uh, it said the final week. And he says, is this your final week? And I said, it depends how I preach, uh, whether they throw me out afterwards. So anyways, the final week. And I think I want to remind you that this whole idea of 70 or sevens, we're going to see those again today. Uh, it's this beautiful picture of completion that it won't go on forever. And that should be a great encouragement to us as God's people uh, that he will bring this to conclusion. Um, so we, we see the uh, rebuilding of the temple. We see the coming of Christ. We, uh, after that time, we see these non-marked or limited time that we are in now. And now this morning, the, the last verse in chapter 9, verse 27, the final week. This is what he shares with us says this, that, um, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Um, this is the time of Antichrist. Uh, he's mentioned this before. He's described Antichrist as the little horn, that there are other horns, but out of this comes this one horn, this little horn, Antichrist that is to come. 
And I just want to characterize this time, and maybe this will be helpful for you. I hope it is. Um, is what we're talking about in this final week is the world without Jesus. The world without Jesus. Now, um, even as I think about the kids, I was flickering the, flicking the uh, little lighter there. Um, sometimes we think that we can live without Jesus, and we realize that uh, maybe you haven't thought about him, or maybe you've uh, rejected him for a time period, but it didn't seem like that big of a deal. I, I want to tell you that this week will epitomize what it would be for you to live without Jesus. It, all, it also could be characterized as the world against Jesus, what that looks like. Uh, sometimes we see the world as even, we looked at many weeks ago, the idea of the spirit of Antichrist or Antichrist that will come, not the actual Antichrist, but others that would pop up their heads uh, from time to time or the, the ideas that are totally against Christ. Uh, what we'll see is the world against Jesus. And then maybe the most accurate of the depictions of this last week, this final week, this 70th week, uh, the judgment of the world from Jesus, his judgment on them. So let's look at it, uh, the 70th week, verse 27. The first part, he says, and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. Uh, so who, who is he? If you look in the context, the previous verse talks about 60 weeks, an anointed one uh, shall be cut off. Who do you think the anointed one is? Jesus. I, I think he, when you see anointed one in the Old Testament, and it's speaking of prophecy, I think that you can easily connect the one that is to be anointed, anointed as king, special as Jesus. That's what I think it is. And then right after that, it says, uh, 62 weeks and anointed one shall be cut off and, have, and shall have nothing. And then it says, and the people of the prince who is to come. So there's a different person, a different one that is a prince that is to come. Uh, I think that pretty clearly because of the, the context of the book of Daniel saying this over and over again, there's going to be one that comes that makes desolate, that ruins the worship of God, that is one of uh, a leader of some sort, but not Christ, not the anointed one. And so we see this as the Antichrist here. Um, and what does it say about him? And he shall make strong covenant with many for one week. What you can picture here is this, that somehow, some way, Antichrist will come and that he will make this peace treaty, most likely um, one peace treaty, one special one that he somehow can gather around uh, into this one world government. Um, I, I think about this often, and I've heard this my whole life, this whole idea of a one world government. And we don't have a one world government right now. Uh, we have people who want want that. We have others that... Uh, maybe you're pulling strings behind that we can't see, but we don't have a one world government. We have superpowers. Uh, we have countries that are, are strong and that they kind of keep each other at bay and one can't get farther, you know, and, and there's always like this tension between the two. We looked, we saw in the uh, 
book of Daniel, the, really the Babylonian Empire, which was basically a one-world government. It, it controlled most of the known world at that time, and there wasn't much civilization outside of that. And then you have the, the Medes and the Persians, and you have the Greeks, and then you have the Romans, and then you have the world that we live in right now, and the, the idea that it will go back to this one-world government, and even in a stronger sense, uh, in the days to come. And so as you think about this final week, and I want to remind you of something. Last week, I talked about again that I don't believe the church is here during this time, this final week. I, I believe the church is raptured, is taken out, uh, even as uh, we are not a part of this. But this is how the world concludes, and specifically uh, how God works out his plan uh, for his people. Uh, the Jews. And so uh, we look at this and we see this beginning. And if you take a step back even further, there's probably the rapture of the church. And then there's this strong covenant. Um, How can a strong covenant come together with the world hating each other as it does right now? How can it happen? I want to tell you that um, this is part of the enemy's work, but more importantly, the plan of God to bring this to conclusion. So you see the enemy working with this strong covenant with Israel, but not just with Israel, but with others as well, uh, coming together as this one world government. The other detail, and we we don't get much here in verse 27, um, it says this, and, uh, and for half of the week, he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. Um, once again, the, the theme that's come up over and over again is this abomination of desolation, this ruining of the temple, desecrating the temple over and over again, this event, and this connects with this at halfway through that first or last week. Um, so it'd be that three and a half year period, right? Um, and it tells us in this verse uh, so the, you have the ruin of the sacrificial system, but more importantly, the picture of the worship of God is desecrated. And then it tells us that uh, in the middle of verse 27, it says, and on the wing of abomination shall come the one who makes desolate. And the, the, the idea of the wing or the wings of a abomination is this umbrella of which the Antichrist will bring everyone under Uh, this overarching umbrella of the pollution of worship, the desolation that he brings uh, to the earth. And that that will mark the midway point and the days after that. Uh, But know this, I always love how this comes together. It seems insignificant, but it's not. Uh, How does the chapter end? It says, until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. What is that? That is the end of the Antichrist. And it's a decreed end. It wasn't his decree. It was the decree of God, that God will bring to an end uh, the desolator and uh, bring him to uh, this idea of judgment that was poured out upon him. That's all we have, just that one verse. That's how it's going to end. And you say, well, what are the details? Turn over to the book of Revelation and let's look at some of the details. And as I, as I share this with you this morning, 
Um, I feel like we all have our little floaties on uh, and we're at the pool and none of us can swim all that well. So we have our floaties on and we dive in the deep end and we're, you know, we're just hanging on. Okay. Uh, Even as I've gone over this and read through this, I just go, there's a lot here to describe even one of these events uh, is hard for us to grasp. But I want to share with you kind of a framework of what this is to come. And I want to tell it to you this way too, that um, uh, God is is not going to take it, uh, the rebellion of man forever. I think sometimes we think, ah, God doesn't think it's that big, big of a deal, my sin. He doesn't think it's that big of a deal, the sins of the world. And we deduce in our mind, the reason we say that is why? Because if he really cared about it, as I would do something, the lightning bolt would come down and he would strike me dead. And, and so we deduce in our minds, well, God doesn't really care if you disobey him. He doesn't really care. And I want you to realize the book of Ephesians tells us that um, Satan is kind of ruling this world. He's, you know, he's involved. But I I, want to say this, he's involved to a degree. He controls to a degree. Holy Spirit's working in the, in in the the lives of his people in the church. And, and so there's this restraining that's going on. And, and what you see in the, this last week is a further stepping back of God allowing the course of the sins of this world and, and not just allowing the sins to prevail, but bringing about his judgment, his judgment upon people and this earth. And so what we're going to see uh, is him, parts of his judgment, and then coming to fruition in the end of this world. And so uh, in Revelation chapter 6, and I'll just tell you, if you're interested in this, if you want to read more, uh, really this period of time that we're talking about, this great tribulation, is chapter 6 through 18, um, are the details of that. And there's some other uh, things in there that don't necessarily have much to do with the tribulation, but give you uh, other details about this end time. So anyways, I, w- I want to give you um, a, a picture, a real brief picture of the judgments of God, the seals, the bowls, and the trumpets. And so the picture here is this. I'll give you the picture. Uh, if you can picture a scroll with a seal on it and he opens it up and he shares it. It's this like the opening of an envelope, if you will, for us. It's this, it's this picture of, let me show you something. And the second of the bowls are like the idea of the judgment is in a bowl or a vial and it's poured out, it's poured out. And then lastly, the trumpets, the idea of it heralding it out, that this is what is to come. And so uh, I'll go through these briefly this morning. And there's more that can be said. Obviously, these are quite a few chapters, but I I just want to give you some highlights uh, of this. If you start in uh, chapter 6, it says, I watched the lamb opened uh, one of the seven seals. And, And the picture here is Jesus, the lamb of God, 
uh, the one that is worthy because of what he has done. He is in charge of this judgment that is to come. And uh, this is him going about the opening and the beginning of this judgment that is on the earth and the rejectors of God. We start out with uh, the first seals that, that we have are horses or horsemen. And the first one being a white horse, a white horse. And verse uh, 2, it says that this, it says, uh, and, I, and I looked and behold a white horse and the rider had a bow and a crown was given to him. And he, he came out conquering and to, to conquer and uh, we see that as describing really this treaty time that we uh, looked at in the book of Daniel, where he's gathering his leadership underneath uh, and underneath him being this, really the whole world uh, under this leadership, this treaty, if you will. You see the white horse and then you see the red her- horse, verse four. Um, it says this, and, and out came another horse, bright red, and its rider was permitted to take peace from the earth so that the people uh, should slay one another. And he was given uh, a sword. What you see in the red horse is war, uh, war on the face of this earth that, um, that people will still be warring. Interestingly enough, uh, just because you have a one world government doesn't mean that people aren't fighting, right? Uh, because of the sinfulness of man. The third horse being a black horse, and it says this, Verse five, verse five. And when he opened the third seal, I heard a third living creature say, come. And I looked and behold, a black horse and its uh, rider had a pair of scales in its hand. And I heard what seemed to be a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, a quart of wheat for a denarius and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Uh, do not harm the oil or, and the wine. Um, the barley and the wheat, a uh, picture of that which is like necessary sustenance. And what does it say? A denarius being a day's wages, um, a quart. How much do you make a day? Some of you are retired and you say, I don't make nothing. You know, you just outgo, right? It's just your spending. Uh, but, but how much does a person make? Maybe you make $150 or $200 or maybe you're you know, make a thousand dollars. And how much is a quart of, uh, is it the wheat or the barley? How much is it? It's a denarii. It's a thousand dollars. It's $200 for whatever that is. And you say, whoa, those prices are high. Yeah. What that represents scarcity of food, shortages of food in such a way that you cannot live. It's the idea that that these times, uh, when it comes to this uh, seal judgment, the black horse, you'll see food scarcity. Number four, number four, uh, verse eight, as you look down at it, then I looked and behold a pale horse, this is the fourth horse, a, a pale horse, and a rider's name was Death, and Hades followed him, and they, they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword and with famine and with pestilence and with wild beasts of the earth. So what you see in that fourth horse, the death horse, the uh, the pale horse, 
uh, is you see death in Hades follow him, then famine and pestilence, and one-fourth of the people. Now, one-fourth of the people over the whole earth, um, there is about, I'm just going to round up, there's about 8 billion people uh, on the face of this earth, which would mean that a fourth of them would be about 2 billion people, 2 billion people. And what you can picture in, you know, population goes up unless some of those same people that I talked about earlier get their way and the population goes down. Um, but, but get this in your mind that in this last week, as part of the judgment at, you know, we're, we're talking about these first sealed judgments that a quarter of the people will die. Two billion people will die. That's hard to imagine, isn't it? We go on to look at the fifth uh, seal. Uh, You'll see those saints that come in in the time of the tribulation, uh, some of them martyred. Uh, You you look down at the sixth seal. I want you to get this sixth seal because it's it's important for us people from California, okay? Um, Verse 12 says, When he opened the sixth seal, I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake. Now, uh, for those of you who've lived in California a while, have you gone through an earthquake? Yeah, gone through a bunch of them, right? And you go, well, what's the big deal? Oh, it's a great earthquake. Well, how great can it be? Let me describe this for you. I'm not describing this. I'm just reading. Okay. Uh, the sixth seal, looked and behold, there was a great earthquake and the sun became black as sackcloth. The uh, full moon became like blood And the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit, uh, was shaken by a gale. Uh, Verse 14, the the sky uh, vanished like a scroll that was being rolled up and every mountain and island was removed from its place. Uh, Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful, talked about them earlier, um, and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Who can stand? Uh, as you look at this earthquake... It's an earthquake like no other. It's it's an event, and it's not just Southern California. It's not just a certain place. It's throughout the earth in such a dramatic fashion that uh, even the heavens are participating, even the sky and all that is around, and so much so that the the people of power who always find themselves rich enough or powerful enough or have enough slaves to to conquer anything, they're saying, I I want the rocks to fall on me, to hide me from this event. And what what is this event? It's clear that it's the wrath of the Lamb, the wrath of the Lamb, that Jesus is bringing about his judgment on the earth. You see... uh, we, we may see Jesus as humble and kind, gracious, forgiving, and he is. 
but he's also the one of judgment that is to come uh, on those who have not trusted in him, those who have rejected him. And then uh, what you see in chapter 7 is the 144,000 of Israel that uh, you, you have really a picture in chapter 7 of those who would come to faith and those who would be sharing the gospel within this period of time. And then picking up again in chapter 8, uh, it says this, when the Lamb opened the seventh seal, uh, it says there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So it, it, it's hard to, for us to get uh, the rhythm of this, but you have the six seals, boom, 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 boom. You know, we don't have a period of time. And these six seals are bringing about judgment and uh, uh, desolation on this earth and, and the ruin of much on this earth. And then uh, comes the seventh seal, which is transitioning from the seals to the, the bowls. Um, as you, as you look at this, um, you, you see this, I'm sorry, the trumpets, I said the bulls, uh, as you see this, the seventh seal brings about the trumpets and it starts another round of seven, uh, judgments on the earth. Once again, seven, right? Seven being number of completion. This will not last forever. Uh, even as you hear this, you, you say, who could bear it? Who could bear it? Uh, how could the earth even bear uh, what is happening? So let's look at the, the seven trumpets um, as they come. Uh, and I'll just summarize these even as I show you where they are. You're in chapter 8, and, and you see these trumpets, and you see in chapter 8, verses 6 and 7, a third of the vegetation is destroyed on the face of the earth a third of it. Um, and you, what you're going to get is some more math problems here of uh, fractions of what's going on. Uh, that's the first trumpet, a third of the vegetation destroyed. Um, it's interesting, I was speaking to someone this past week and they were talking about how they're concerned uh, with uh, deforestation of the Amazon and, and how it's ruining um, our ecosystem. And I said, yeah, there's a lot of ruining of our ecosystem going on right now. Uh, some of it, you know, by chopping of trees down, but others by messing with stuff in the sky, of trying to control weather and, uh, you know, even trying to control weather and ruin uh, your enemies and, and so on and so forth, going back and forth. And you, you say, yeah, there's a lot going on. And, and yet... The idea of a, a third of the vegetation of the whole earth, that's hard to imagine, isn't it? That's the first trumpet. The second trumpet is a third of the sea destroyed. And then the third trumpet, you know, those chapter 8, verses 8 and 9. Uh, trumpet 3, the third of the water supply destroyed. The verses following, verses 10 and 11. Um, do you guys think about water? This thing about water. We live in the desert. I don't know if any of you have noticed that lately. Uh, as you leave our valley here and you go outside and you look to the hills and what do you see? Dead, right? You see not much. And uh, uh, even last week coming through here and seeing the firefighters mopping up that little patch that caught there, and I thought they did a great job. You know, it could have been the whole hill. It could have been 
uh, quite a bit more. It didn't look like there was much to burn, and so it gave him a shot at it. But do you think about water? Do you think about water? And uh, the idea that a third of the water supply would be destroyed, I, I think uh, I find it interesting. Uh, most of us, you know, we kind of want to prepare for that. I know that we have some gallons of water at our house in an emergency. How long will that last, by the way? A couple of gallons. Depends who's drinking, right, and how thirsty they are. But yeah, the idea of the destruction of the water supply, um, that would be significant. And so you see a third of the vegetation, a third of the sea, a third of the water supply. And then trumpet four, it speaks of a third of the stars and the moons. Uh, You go from that which is on earth to that which is in the sky that we see. And uh, hard for us to imagine uh, chapter eight, verse 12, the stars and the moons as well. Trumpet 5 uh, describes ch- chapter 9, verses 1 through 12, an increase in demonic activity on the face of this earth and this, this battle going on between uh, Christ and these de- demons. Trumpet 5, and then trumpet 6, it says a third of mankind killed, uh, chapter 9, verses 13. And you go, a third of mankind? How does that work? Didn't we already have a quarter uh, being, being wiped out? Yeah. And so there, there's this idea that uh, death is going to be uh, prevalent and, and common during these seven years. And then lastly, the, the seventh uh, trumpet introducing the bowl judgments. And, and what I would say even before I go to describe this is there's an increasing intensity Right, it's building upon one another. There's there's something bad, a judgment that's rough uh, for mankind, the rejectors of Christ, this world, and then it gets worse, and then it gets worse, and then it gets worse, and it compiles. Um, and I would say that about the seals, trumpets, and now the bulls as well. In chapter sixteen, um, it speaks of these bulls, and I'm not going to even delineate each one, but I'm just going to read through them. The first one being uh, sores for the rejectors of Christ; these uh, unbearable sores on one's body. Uh, secondly, there's the blood of the sea that the sea turns to blood, and then and then you look at the rivers and the rivers turning to blood. And then, then you see the intensity of the heat of the, the sun bearing down on people that they cannot escape nor can they handle the heat of the sun. And then a darkness covering the throne of Antichrist and going out into his uh, followers. And then you'll see the battle of Armageddon. And then you'll see the, the devastating judgment of the whole world through hailstones. And all this uh, beginning and setting up the coming of Jesus' thousand-year kingdom, the millennial kingdom that is to come. Is that enough? Is that enough? Um, I know I know I breezed through that, but um, it's overwhelming. It's overwhelming. If I could isolate and get a picture of just one of these judgments, I'm not sure I'd go to sleep for a very long time. It's interesting. Um, 
we used to have brochures, but now we have websites and you might want to go on a vacation and you used to get a brochure and they take pictures, they take pictures. And these pictures are, are like, these are some of the sites you'll see and the pictures look nice and, and, and they're meant to sell you on what is to come. Like for you, if you would go on this trip, you would see things like this, but there's more, but you'll see, you know, we'll take you to these spots. I think as I look at this and as I consider what uh, God has revealed in his word about this final week, the 70th week, uh, what he has described in his word, I think it's totally different the opposite way, right? It's giving us pictures. Uh, There used to be a, a show um, a reality TV show called Scared Straight, where they would uh, take uh, troubled youth into the prisons and they would uh, show them what their life is going to happen if, if they continue on this path. And I want to tell you that as we look at God's word, he shares with us what life without his son, Jesus, will be like. What will happen when he no longer is restraining his wrath, his anger, but now when he is pouring it out, when he is releasing the judgment that is planned and is coming. And so for us as God's people, uh, a couple of things I want to say is just for those of you here today, um, it's important, right? It's important if you've trusted in Christ, it's the best decision you've ever made. It's, it's the only thing that matters uh, you know, when you come to the edge of this time, right? Do you know Jesus? Um, the second thing I want to say is just that for, for those of you who haven't trusted in Christ, today's the day. Today's the day. Don't wait. Don't wait. This is coming. This is the plan of God. You say, well, I don't know if it's coming. It doesn't matter if you think it's coming. That's your plan. Your plan is to roll the dice That's a bad plan. Trust in the word of God. His message is true. It's faithful. Uh, He he has not lied to us. He will not lie to us. He is warning us. I hope that's an encouragement to you. I have three things as we tie up our time here this morning. The first one is this. That this world system, this world and this world system is not going to make it not going to make it. It's not. I I know sometimes we watch the news. We hear of uh, uh, wars and rumors of wars. We think of uh, different um, tanks and technologies and bombs and surveillance stuff, you know, all, all this stuff that we think and we go, wow, men can do everything. And I want to say, no, they can't. No, they can't. And you say, well, I know that there's this group of gazillionaires and they have a plan for the the earth. And I want to tell you, neat, they have a plan. But their plan is not the plan that will prevail. In the end, the plan of God worked out in his son Jesus is the one that will prevail. This world and its system is not going to make it. I want to encourage you as God gives you a clear picture of worldliness and the world system is to reject it, to reject it. Say, I'm not a part of that. 
because that, this world and its system is not going to make it. Secondly, as I, I think about these verses that we've gone over and uh, thinking through how that would impact us today, I want to encourage you to remember that God will not hold his anger forever. He will not hold his anger forever. As you look at the book of Revelation and the verses that I shared with you in this section, uh, it's very different. It's very different from the suffering servant. It's very different from the humble Christ that has come. It's no longer the gracious time where he says, I will be patient with you. Even as it says in 2 Peter chapter 3, this idea of patient, not wishing for any to perish. This idea that he's waiting and patiently waiting, giving people opportunity to repent. As you look at this last week, you realize he will not hold his anger forever. And his anger is real and justified because of the sins of men and especially upon Antichrist who has sought to take the place of his son, the one and only Savior. God will not hold his anger forever. I think that's important for us to remember as we see sin uh, through a lens in this time and this place, but also as we think through uh, if you haven't trusted in Christ or if you know someone who hasn't trusted in Christ, know this, that God is patient with them at this point. God will not hold his anger forever. And then lastly, that Jesus is the only way of escape of what is to come. Jesus is the only way of escape. So um, in the last years, you know, to some degree always, but especially in the last years, um, I'm kind of a prepper, kind of a prepper. Any preppers? You got stuff, you know, bottles of water and, Bars of gold buried in your backyard. You know, I'm kind of a prepper. You know, you know what I, you know what I've done. I've gotten chickens, right? And I just want to say this to you. I want to make it clear. I want to make it clear. What I read to you today. Will chickens save me from a day like that? Uh, no. Your couple of bottles of water. That's not going to make it through that, right? And I want you to see that clearly. I want us to acknowledge that uh, I think I shared with you before, and sometimes it's hard to remember what you said service to service, but I do not believe the church of Jesus Christ will be here during this time. I believe we'll be raptured out. It says that we'll meet him in the air, okay? That we will be gone. Uh, And I I just want to tell you, that's the way of escape to this. And who goes in the rapture? Those who have trusted in Christ, his church, right? I want to tell you, there's no other way. There's no other way. There's no amount of prepping and, you know, some of you reading survival books, you know, you're going, oh, I could last, you know, I could last a month. This is seven years, by the way. Okay, and, and it's the whole earth and it's everybody. Like, like this is not escapable, And so for us today to acknowledge our inability to make it and that Jesus is the only way of escape for us. He's the one. And as we are his, that he will um, bring us to himself and that his judgment is not upon us, but 
to those who have rejected him. Get that fixed in your mind. That you would not fear the bazillionaires, the, the armies, the, the nations, but that you would be trusting in Jesus and him and him alone. This is our encouragement uh, for the things that are to come. And I just want to tell you, it won't last forever. It will not last forever. God, thank you for this morning. I do pray that uh, as we have gone over your scriptures, that it would excite us to know more, uh, not just being ones that are interested because we want to be smarter or driven by pride, but that we want to see your revealed plan and we would cause to rejoice and be thankful that you sent your son Jesus to die for sinners like us. But we trust you for the days ahead. I ask that you would cause us to not become fearful, that we would rejoice even more uh, knowing that our salvation is from you, that you love us, that you care for us, and you will take us to be with you forever. God, thank you for this time. Do your work in your church, I pray. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.